um, and I think we should be live right about now. Greg, welcome to the uh, show. Kind enough to come on at on very short notice because absolutely, I've just kind of been what I'm trying to do, and we were talking about this before we went live. I'm trying to develop a way to have conversations over the internet that could actually be viable to for folks to listen to. You know, um, I used to do this before. I used to get together in person with people and you know try to. Uh, try to have conversations and that was easy because you, you're all you're hooked into the same thing you can yeah. you can make sure the mics are all set the way that you want before you go but it's a lot harder to do remotely so we finally got it sorted out you've got your you, you've got your young your young boys headphones yeah. on there eh? child child's headphones and uh, i feel like you, you need to say the obligatory joe rogan right hold this hold this sucker right up to your face <laughs> right That's exactly the, the obligatory line from every podcast that i ever listened to so hopefully this sounds okay and, i feel uh, like i feel like lately they must tell them before because they uh they haven't had to say that lately uh yeah i've uh, see since it's gone to spotify i've actually not listened as avidly as i usually would because every time i listen it's out in the car and then spotify tries to stream the video as well as audio and i haven't been dedicated enough to figure out how to just keep doing doing the audio you know my spotify has a car button that you can push like right. on the app and you press it and then it knows you're in the car and i think that's it try it it, it knows just yeah not to try the video i've not i've not been dedicated enough to be honest i've been so um deep in a uh, football podcast recently but i better not say football for your listeners it'll be soccer Soccer, I'm yeah, pretty sure, yeah. So it's been uh, uh, there's there's quite a few big Scottish uh, soccer podcasts at the moment that are kind of hilarious. So that lightens up the commute in the morning at, at the moment, which is great. Absolutely, we have zero concurrent viewers right now on our uh, stream. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's probably a result of crying wolf too many times trying to get this uh, this thing happening. Uh, but the cool thing, what I, what I like about it is the ability to listen back to it. And we should also, uh, I should be able to get the audio. I'm trying to get the audio right with Ken, who I had on the other day, there's a lot of background noise. So I'm, I'm hoping it's a, a bit better quality and a little bit less background noise just from computer fans and stuff like that. eh? Right. See, I'm, I'm plugged into one of these Focusrite um, boxes at the moment, a little Scarlet. Uh, so hopefully that should uh, negate some of that stuff. It, it helps with lag and it's got phantom power and things like that. So hopefully it kind of separates the audio from all that, all that jazz that's happening in the computer. Yeah. So, so. Uh, so with all that aside, how's the, what have you been up to during COVID? I mean, you teach in the schools and you, yeah. um, and that was, you know, absolute insanity for us in the in the states but also i think uh, in scotland it was as well i mean just complete uh, to be honest it still in. is at the moment i'm just i was the the piping tutor for west lothian council so that means i went around you know 10 different schools in west lothian um a few primary schools a few high schools and we kind of gathered a regional band from that and um, halfway through, sort of, well, I say halfway through, probably uh, yeah, three, four months into COVID, um, my old teacher, um, Tom Brown from Loch Gelly High School, he retired, and I interviewed for the post and, and got the job. So I've actually started a new role at a new school in the middle of COVID, which is, you know, it brings its challenges. So I feel like there's I've a lot of uh, traveling, a lot of retirements during COVID. 
a lot of folks yeah. are like, oh, well, I was going to retire sooner or later. So now is a pretty good time to just drop out of the mix. Eh? And I, I get that because having, having, you know, if you're at the end of your career and you're maybe looking at a, a total rebuild for the next two years, it's maybe like a great time to, to pass the pass the, the reins on to someone else you know, to build it from fresh. But I, I'm basically teaching at the moment where I'm only allowed to visit one school physically per day, but I've got seven schools on my timetable. So some of them are on a rotation basis where they get a lesson one week and then the next week they're back on to using Teams or, or whatever technology they, they're using. Um, so we're doing Teams calls sometimes, but then even the in-person lessons at the moment, unless the candidate or the pupil is in their final year and they're going for an exam, they are using electronic chanters. But if they're if they're going for an exam, they've to have a lesson at the end of the day when the school's empty and we can basically open the doors and windows and I stand two meters away and they can play the bagpipes. Wow. So we've got all of these mitigations in place and it's uh, it's really challenging. But done reasonably well to retain the pupils you know and give them interest in things to do like let's all play you know everybody beginners you know drummers everyone let's all play Highland Cathedral online at Christmas and then we do that and we send it out in the school twitter as like a Christmas card for people or we've got a you know the, the band Scary Vore yeah they did a, a charity single for the NHS so we, we are doing a cover version of that like a play along version so just doing little things to give the kids a little go, you know, the ones that aren't involved in uh, SQA exams. That's uh, that's our qualifications authority. Yes. So I'm an the, SQA. Guys... If you ever need help, I'm an SQA examiner. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Um, Is that for the, the PDQB? Yeah. Stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. SQAs, I suppose, SQAs are, are they all the way across the board in the schools yeah. there? Like, so it's, yeah. it's chemistry and math and yeah, also everything. bagpipes yeah. up to a certain level, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, but you so, can't play bass drum. So the, so you, you teach seven, <laughs> yeah, except no, let's not, let's keep the bass drum out of this. Uh, so uh, <laughs> what about drum major? You, you can do that, eh? I think? No? I'm not sure. I don't think for PDQB. No. No, I don't think so. Uh, well, you know. <laughs> good, good news, there's someone with, with a head on their shoulders in charge there. That's it. Uh, no, uh, so my question was going to be, the, so you have seven schools that you teach, and you can only mm. do one in a day. And is that, that's a viral load thing, right? Like they don't yeah, want you to expose. Yeah, just don't, don't be a super spreader. Yeah. Yeah, don't be a super spreader. And they probably don't want you to be exposed to seven different groups of people in a single day. Like my, yeah. my very primitive understanding is that's how a lot of the healthcare workers were getting COVID, especially in the beginning. It's not so much that like they came across a guy that had it, but mm -hmm. you, you're, you're in contact with a lot of different people. And then, you know, you're exposed to it so much throughout the day that you, you ultimately end up getting it. Something like yeah. that. I don't know. And I guess within the council as well, they have an element of control. We can control that. We can control where you go. But then, you know, after after 3.30pm when the bell rings, we can't control if you go to the supermarket or if you break the COVID rules or this or that. But at least they know they're safe and they've put the mitigations in place. So, you know, as a staff, I, I've felt, you know, really safe throughout the whole thing um, because of all these mitigations. Um, like when we're using electronic chanters, we're wiping them down. You know, they've been electrostatically cleaned periodically. And apparently that lasts for, you know, a month where you can use top-up wipes 
on top of the electrostatic cleaning and this and that. So, um, yeah, with that and the, and the distancing, um, I've I've not felt you know under any sort of pressure or strain at work, which is nice. Yeah. But I, I'm just champing at the bit to get back and get playing pipes. And even with those SQA pupils that are staying back um, at three thirty every day. They'll come in and you know start to tune their pipes and do this, do that. It's really difficult not to want to dive in and help them. But I've been trying to use that as a tool to develop their skills and their their you know um, confidence. So you know maybe just blend that bass drone in a little bit nicer, or how about shifting the tape on your F? You know, just trying my best not to jump in and do things for them. Um, I feel like as a socially awkward person, which I kind of am, you know, <laughs> uh, if anything, this podcast is just, you know, me working on my social, my very poor social <laughs> skills, but like as a socially awkward person, I just feel like normal people are now forced to be completely awkward. Uh, you know, in, in everything that happens socially, it's just the weirdest uh, thing. Uh, what, where, it's where very we? bizarre. And it's, uh, you know, I'll take my, my little boy to the park and stuff like that. Right. And then the park the is the weirdest the place. Yeah. We come, we come back from the park and he knows that there's a shop on the way and he'll he'll maybe like be like, can I get a toy? Can I get a magazine? Can I get a sweetie? So we go in to get a sweet and he just, I put my mask on at the door and he just doesn't even blink now. And I'm thinking that should be really weird for him to see me in a mask. Yeah. And he, he do, doesn't even flinch. My daughter thinks it's weird to be on a playground without wearing a mask. Because she, because she does, she wears a mask all day at school, which mm -hmm. is actually, you know, it's a bit uh, awkward. But she's fortunate enough to have a school that actually went back. You know, yeah, a, yeah. a lot of our schools, they most of them went back, but some of them were like two days a week, and then the other three, you you stay home. Or uh, I, I think our local our local public schools like that. So so she's fortunate enough to actually, she's been at school all year and. Yeah. So that's been pretty good. We had a weird situation here where some schools, we did a phased return where we weren't quite ready to accept everyone back into school, but we wanted to accept maybe a few year groups or whatever. And they decided that it was too difficult to do it by in that, in that sense. So it was like, sometimes you had year groups going in. So it was like first year and fourth year will be in. Uh, only if your son, surname begins from A to M. Okay. But then you were finding examples where families were like, well, I've got a first year and a third year in my household. Like my son and daughter are in first and third year and, you know, they're both M, but like they can't go to school together. So I've got to find childcare Monday, like nine till 12 and then Wednesday, 12 till five. And it's like, the, it's not the both of them at the same time. Crazy. So there wasn't a well thought out system where you know, there were all, always going to be winners and losers. And it just uh, luckily only lasted that way for three weeks and they managed to get all of the pupils into all of the schools. So um, back to teaching piping. So you're able to go in person now to one school and then what does the rest of the day look like? You're teaching one-on-one -on -one Zoom sessions with kids and stuff uh, like that? Pretty much it's, it's like a Zoom call, but it's on Microsoft Teams. Um, and then I spend a lot of my time on Microsoft Teams just looking after my individual teams. So I've got the kids split into channels. So if they come for a pay, uh, to, to a lesson as a pair, just say I've got, you know, um, Lachlan and Josh, they've got their own channel. 
then the next one, then the next one, then the next one. So I'll just go into the channel and just drop little messages like, hey guys, uh, gave you a little slayer called Shimon Toman last week. How are you getting on with that? Anything that you find tricky? And I'll just leave little messages throughout the week. Um, they have access to a little YouTube channel of mine. Um, and then in case they don't want to use YouTube, I rip the videos from my YouTube channel and just drop them into my teams. So they've got video lessons, they've got the sheet music, they've got me leaving little messages, um, which is basically all in place of me handing out hard copy materials at the moment because we're supposed to reduce the amount of touch points that we've got. It's quite easy to wipe down a chanter, but it's difficult to, to wipe clean a, a piece of sheet music, you know? Yeah. So all of these things, but it's a, that's a positive thing that we've got and, and that now we're set up with Microsoft Teams where all of these pupils know how to use it. They know how to log in and get to um, all these resources, but they've also got more direct communication with their teacher on the six other days that they don't have a lesson. Got it. And so, yeah. uh, and then that's what it's like right now then. So are mm -hmm. you guys still... You're not supposed. You're supposed to stay in your homes and all that. Like, what's it like? And no, what's we're the big starting picture? to gradually um, unwrap at the moment. So, we have just moved into a tier system where we're now out of lockdown, but we are now all de facto level three. I think it might be four. It's but either way, it's a case of the shops have just reopened as of Monday. So non-essential retail like clothing stores and things like that all opened. Uh, restaurants and bars have opened. Restaurants are open until 8pm serving food indoors but no alcohol. And places with alcohol licenses can serve alcohol outdoors till 10pm. It's the craziest thing. Like here it's the weirdest thing, eh? Because yeah. they have, they, the original, well, and I can only speak for New York, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but New York is just, it's been the, it's been super weird. Like at first yeah. they shut down everything, uh, except for some restaurants where you could, you couldn't go in, but you could get takeaway. And then they mm -hmm. suddenly out of nowhere, they allowed you to, uh, they allowed you to order alcohol to go from restaurants. Yeah. Uh, and, and then it, it was wild and they shut down everything except the liquor stores at first. Like, mm. you know, uh, liquor stores have been open the whole time. Like the they've thing. been, they must be making a killing. They must be. Yeah. Cause like, you know, we're not heavy. My wife and I aren't heavy drinkers or anything, but you know, when you're locked in your house, you know, during the apocalypse, yeah. why not? You know, so the wine. yeah, go for it. Yeah. So we, what's, we, what's been the tipple? What's been the, your, uh, your drink of choice? <sighs> well, for at, at the moment, it's uh, a glass of dry red wine at the mm -hmm. moment, but it did not start off that way. Have we got um, a have we got a brand? Have we got a, a type of wine? Yeah. Well, I don't know. No, to be honest, I like wine and I like tasting it, but I have no. I'm not into the to the folklore. Like I don't know. Yeah. Is is it a Shiraz or a Merlot yeah. or I don't know or a Pinot I Noir? I tend to find. I'll try stuff and find one that I like. Then either like take a picture of the bottle, and then keep it in my phone. And then ones that I don't like. I try to remember as well for all the wrong reasons. So it's like, don't get that again, but get this again. Right. And I've, uh, I've been really enjoying, um, there's a new, a sort of new brand that's kind, kind of trendy at the moment uh, called 19 Crimes. I don't know if you guys get that over there. I don't know. I'll have to look but for it's, it. Uh, it's, it's, it's decent. It's worth a, worth a, worth a look. Quite, quite nice. Um, but no, I've been the same. I've been trying to get back at running, man, rather than, you know, boozing. 
Right. So I've, uh, the I've same been, way. been exactly. trying, trying, trying to get on it, but there's only so much, so many hours in the day. I'm spending so much of my time in front of, you know, a, a laptop or, you know, pupils on electronic chanters that it's nice to go, go outside and feel something quite analog. Yeah. So we, I, I actually, um, so when lockdown first started last March, uh, the CrossFit gym shut down down for a few months and I basically did nothing. I, you know, I tried to get some, I tried to get some workouts in, but it, I just really couldn't bring myself to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, but then we went back, we so, were back, we were back in the, in the gym by maybe June or July. So I was able to work out all summer. Yeah. I forget you do CrossFit eh? because I'm like, yeah. Doesn't look if like you ever right turn now. vegan, by the way, you'll become insufferable. Could you imagine being cross into CrossFit and being a vegan? It would be kind of mad. Uh, it's pretty <laughs> difficult. It, it would be pretty <laughs> difficult to perform uh, in CrossFit with so little protein. You don't really find that many. There are, yeah. pro- I'm sure there are some, but you don't, it's not like a plant based CrossFit guys. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, in, they're in the minority, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, right now I'm I'm into the sort of like primal, like ancestral uh, diet right now. Yeah. I, I read I read the guy, what do you call the, that guy, the professor dude that's got the autoimmune problem? Eh? Is it Jordan Peterson? Oh, yeah, he was yeah, doing yeah. The, he was doing that. And oh, apparently no, no. Really he's, doing, sorted... no he's, doing the, he's doing the carnivore diet. Oh, so it's just pure meat. Just meat. Right. Yeah. Uh, which has, you know, uh, which for some people apparently is like really, a really, really successful diet. Yeah, like I've seen people clear up people's psoriasis and things like yeah. that. Yeah, like well, plants. Which is quite interesting. When you eat plants, which are supposed to be good for you, like make no mistake about it. I mean, plants have tons of toxins in them that are that are not really great for the immune system. Like, yeah. and then for most of us, I think it's fine. Like to fight off those toxins strengthens your immune system for most of yeah. us. But I think for some people, and then in the case of Jordan Peterson, like I forget, he just has has severe depression maybe or something uh and when he's you, you know like uh and he w- did have severe depression but i can't remember if that was linked to an autoimmune condition yeah well it could be uh and yeah. then so, nonetheless apparently he he shifted to like only eating red meat and then mm-hmm. he uh uh and then well you know i think to a degree it was hugely successful for him i think maybe mm-hmm. after a while uh, even down. Yeah, you're sitting going, not another fillet steak, Jesus. <laughs> That's what I find. So right now, so for the last two weeks or so, I've been so no grains, no sugar, and no no like uh, you know industrial oils. Oh, nice. So That's uh, a... yeah. So I just find it's a lot of fat, and I love fat. Fat's one of my favorite. Fat's one of my yeah. favorite things, uh, and combined with tons of bread mm-hmm. it's very very bad for you but yeah i'm getting probably 50 percent of my calories from fat at the moment but like you sit so down so that's kind of like virgin on keto then oh yeah no it is i mean it would be it would be uh what i'm doing would could easily be considered keto but but mm. you can also eat keto like a, a a keto diet with all sorts of bad oils and bad fats yeah. so i'm trying to avoid yeah. those uh, I'm trying to avoid like lots those. of people go go for like sour cream, avocado, you know, yeah. uh, coconut oil, hemp oil, that kind of thing. And I can do that. I can do sour cream, but it's you know it, it can't be like, or it really shouldn't be uh, conceptually. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be from like a industrial dairy, you know, right. where where they feed the cows like 
you know, just grain the entire yeah. life of the cow. Uh, and of course, you know, if grain isn't good for you, then you don't want to drink the milk of something that's only ever eaten grain, yeah. you know, so th in theory. And there's that, that whole theory as well about um, the body stopping producing lactase as well after you're an infant. So that whole sentence that people say, if it's not your mum, then it's not your milk. Right. That thing. Yeah. Which is quite, quite an interesting take on it because I think about 60% of people are to some stage some uh, degree not lactose intolerant but they they suffer from lactose malabsorption right so it doesn't doesn't really do much and apparently that's why the italians only they, they sorry they never drink cappuccino after 11 a.m and it's to do with the fact that they they don't digest milk very well yeah this is random chat, but it's uh, interesting. No, it's I, love, I love the diet chat. I've been using my fitness pal to track my calories, and it's really depressing seeing how much calories are in certain things. Yeah. Well, and you know, if you can cut out, if you can cut out the grains and the sugar, like the processed, you know, mm -hmm. processed carbs, uh, if if you can cut that out, you're fine. But you, man, you're amazed. You'll be amazed to to find, or I'm always amazed to find like. Man, I, you know, because what happens is not, it's like you have, when, when you give the kids like pretzels or, or crisps or, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm trying to use UK language there, crisps. Yeah, yeah, uh, crisps. And, uh, Chips. Uh, yeah. you know, other things, you know, you always grab a handful for yourself and you don't think much of it. I'm really mm -hmm. bad for that or, uh, you know, so. You just look at like a 25 gram bag of crisps and it's like, how calorically dense is that food? Yeah. It's like. It's like eating air, but there's like 150 calories in it. It's mad. Yeah, it's pretty. It is pretty mad. So, uh, so anyway, I've, you know, it's it's weird, but I it, I can't. Just, if anyone hasn't tried that, just try eating uh, clean for seven days. You f your body feels incredible. It actually does. Um, mm -hmm. And I have to thank CrossFit yeah. for that. Not because CrossFit. Uh, has taught me a whole lot about nutrition, but like in order to be able to do it, it forces you to have, you have to think about like, okay, well, I'm going to have to change how I'm eating in order to survive basically. Yeah. Um, I had then, like three beers, uh, like one night about five or six weeks ago and I ran a 5k first thing the next morning and I felt absolutely terrible. Yeah. And it was like, I barely, barely like had any alcohol. It was like three small beers. But the effect that it had on me the next day was just woeful. Yeah. It just shows you that uh, we would think, sometimes going through a circle to the, the sort of piping vibe, sometimes we would think nothing at all of relaxing the night before opening our Inverness and having like four or five beers. And that's something that probably bef the night before my best ever result at one of those contests, I was on, um, what do you call them? Um antibiotics yeah and i didn't have a have a beer at all and i was actually ill but i smashed it the next day yeah. and i'm sitting going well you know just keeping a clear head and and going at it with no nothing in your system probably a good idea you know I, yeah i and i think you're right about that you know and that is a way to take the totally random topic that we were on and bring it back to piping a little bit yeah which Segued. is uh, <laughs> I, I i'm really i i really i very much have noticed that uh, when you cut out sugar, uh, my hands feel way better. You know, I'm able to do, 
I'm able to be a lot more comfortable playing than when I'm on a crap diet. Do you think that's a brain-hand connection thing, though? It's not actually your hands. Um, it's probably an inflammation thing. So when you eat foods that are not uh, super inflammatory, yeah. uh, you know, obviously your joints can can mm-hmm. operate more smoothly. Uh, yeah, because I remember in 2018, I was particularly dialed in. I remember coming on the world's trip and honestly eating really well the vast majority mm-hmm. of the trip, uh, and and things felt things felt really good. Um, and certainly much different from the old days where like, even, even before, even when I was younger, you'd go, we'd go to band weekends and we'd practice with the band all weekend long and we'd eat tons of pizza, tons Mm -hmm. of candy. We'd stay up really late. Um, and that's not good. It's not good for you. Men, obviously it's not good for you mentally. It's not good for you physically, but even your hands, like even your, your ability to execute, um, will increase if you don't have a whole bunch of, uh, of crap food. Yeah, for me it's the, the the mood and the concentration too. You get those spikes, uh, sugar sugar spikes and sugar uh, crashes, yeah. and I feel that um, I'm definitely in the camp of one of these guys that gets hangry. So and that's just a sugar crash. That's that wouldn't happen if I was on keto or if I was you know eating clean or this or that. So right. definitely, um, you know, I, I'm not I'm not doing anything just now other than exercising and trying not to overeat in terms of calories but the next step and being more disciplined would definitely to be to try and feel a bit better through the week you know get a bit more performance and that would mm-hmm. be you know my piping would be included in that i would say yeah absolutely i i, I would encourage anybody to explore that um, yeah. i'm a big fan of uh i'm a big fan of mark sisson is the guy's name yeah uh, you yeah, know, probably know who him. he is yeah yeah he he's sort of like one of the he's one of the godfathers of like the primal eating sort of thing. Mm-hmm. When I first started CrossFit, uh, I was on, uh, he's got a website, Mark's Daily Apple or something. And yeah. uh, I was just reading that stuff and it's really, really interesting. And it pers- it makes a lot of sense to me. So I'm someone who teaches bagpipes in, in, along the same logical pathway as well, which mm-hmm. is like, we've got to strip things down to get to the absolute basics uh, and get those things right and then sort of move forward mm-hmm. from there. So, you know, any any methodology that's in that same vein tends to resonate really well with me, which is, you know, then the basic premise is you got to picture how human beings evolved and try to eat in a way that, you know, and try to eat in a way that we're designed to eat. And, uh, like, you know, getting a hundred calories in a single bite of, you know, uh, of bread, let's say bread and butter, getting a hundred calories per bite. It, we're not evolved to do that. And then you get a huge insulin spike your hormones get all messed up and then, mm-hmm. yeah, you do a little bit of that. If you do that for breakfast every day, you know, the toast and jam, uh, yeah, that, totally. that sets you up for the roller coaster all day long. Yeah, definitely. And then you look at things though, like uh, eating nuts and stuff, they are so calorically dense, but at the same time, there's a lot of oil and a lot of natural fat and this and that in it. Yeah. And you're, you're getting so much more. But you know that guy, Mark Sisson, I've seen a guy kind of go on the flip side of what he was saying online. And then I ended up tying myself up in knots and not knowing what to kind of look at. But there was a guy, um, a, a, he's an Australian guy and he's a, some kind of endurance cyclist. And he's got a campaign that's called Carb the F Up. And it's all about that um, 
that kind of vibe where it's like, look, look, what you, you know, these top endurance athletes from like Kenya and Ethiopia and stuff like that. What do they eat? They eat rice. They eat bananas. Just eat carbs and burn them off, man. Yeah. And so he had this this kind of opposite thing, but he's basically then just turning food into glycogen and using up the glycogen. Right. Well, and I mean that I think there's something there. Like I know the the really big CrossFit athletes that are training many hours a day. But mm-hmm. see, I really only train four or five hours a week. That's it. Yeah. And and the rest of the time I'm sitting here like this at my desk. And uh-huh. so like you have to be with with anything that's more carb heavy, I think you have to be careful. But what do yeah, I know? Be smart about it. Eh? I know. Yeah. I spend more, my time obsessing about bars of pipe tunes and how do I get this kid to play that better and than I do thinking about my own diet probably. But no, it might it might be something that if I was to be a bit more disciplined, I would probably look into that a little bit more. But at the moment it's like I'm I'm coming up against that that old sentence that every personal trainer says, you can't outrun a bad diet. Mm-hmm. So I'm out there running and I'm like calorie <laughs> restricting myself and it's all happening. But the actual quality I, I do eat quite a balanced diet, but I'm a sucker for like eating a biscuit at night time. Yeah. So pretty bad. Me but too. I, I get stressed. I were not stressed. Yeah. A combination, sometimes maybe stressed, but like mm-hmm. I just get really tired and then I, I just want to eat crappy food when I get tired. Yeah. I'm pretty bad that if I watch something good on TV, like I don't know if you guys have got this yet, but there's an absolutely tremendous show at the moment called Line of Duty in the UK. It's just like a UK cop drama and it's like a six part series. It's amazing. It's on its sixth season. But, um, Whenever that's on on a Sunday night, I'm literally reaching for ice cream. I know it's tough, right? It's tremendous, aye. It's but everything in moderation, including moderation itself. That's a a good motto. Speaking of which, so uh, so teaching, you do a lot of teaching, yeah. but you you've been sending me you've been sending me weird uh, encrypted photos of uh, yes. pieces of chanter reads and stuff. So so you've been into the read making. Yeah, yeah, I have. Uh, basically the obviously lockdown happened and stuff and i would usually be an avid guy where i would be going around the games and i would be you know teaching students and tuning kids up at the juniors and doing this and that basically filling my time with you know piping activities seeing about the country and this and that and uh, i just i've had it in my head for a while that um I wanted to to look into some some read making equipment. Um, one of the 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 drivers behind that is that I used to work at Artie Shepherd and Son when I was uh, kind of laterally leaving school and taking my first steps towards going to university. And I was there for about four years, and my main focus when I was there would be um, learning the processes and and steps to do the cane prep. And the whole business there was basically predicated on the fact that. The cane prep has to be magic for the reads to be magic for the chanter to sound good. Yeah, you know, and then everything's just based off the quality and the consistency of the reads. So I learned quite a lot from that. But I've got a name. Is... I've already told you this joke, but I've got a name for your read making business. You want to hear well, it? Well, have you? Yeah. Right. Go for you it. You should call it. Wait for it. You should call it Canning Reads. Canning oh, Reads. Man. Yeah, because your if last name is Canning. I had over. If only I'd already thought of that. Um, I wonder. I wonder if Ryan would uh, would would actually contemplate selling the 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 rights to me. I think he's making a making a good a good a good bit off the drone reads, and I think he'd be he'd be uh, reticent to let go of that. 
Oh, but so no, you're, I'm a, oh, right. The canning. I forgot I, about that. I forgot. I'm like the third, the third uh, tanning surnamed Piper to win the Worlds. I think Megan and Ryan got there before me a good bit, several times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, he's still, he, yeah, he's still making drone reads and everything like he's, gangbusters. He's making dronies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he's a, uh, yeah, I've been in touch with him a couple of times about, about various things and he's, he's over in Northern Ireland at the moment and uh, doing, doing his thing. But, um, so what are you going to call them? Are you allowed to say yet? Yeah, I think so. Well, I used to have an old website um, years ago when I was self-employed before I got my schools gig and uh, it was called Castle Bagpipes. Castle and bagpipes. I just have, Castle reads. Uh, yeah, so I've got Castle bagpipes and I've got, uh, I'm going to put a couple of products up there. Um, the first of which is a ridge cut pipe read. And the reason that I've kind of started with that is when I was at Shepherds, we worked on a few principles. So like um, Bob at the time thought that the, the best finish you could get was, was by using sanders. And it was like, well, sand the inside, you know, the, the curvature, the gouge of the reed. Mm-hmm. The inside's got a got a, a gouge at a certain um, certain size. So we'll use a sander to do that. And then also we'll use a sander to do the profile. So from the the the, the sound box of the reed down to the tip, that kind of taper. Um, but the more you kind of look into it and the more you, you look under a microscope and do this and that, it's actually it's making a smooth finish to the touch, but it's actually um, kind of pitting the the grain a little bit. Uh, it's not. It's also not going with the grain. So the sanders, um, the sanders rotating like this, and the piece of cane goes in sideways. So when it faces off onto the the sander, it actually is being kind of burnished across the grain of the cane. Now, don't get me wrong, this was years ago and Shepherds have up- upgraded their tooling. They've done things like very, very differently and they've got, you know, a CNC machines and v- various different bits of kit. So I couldn't speak to what they do now and it's probably very different. But I wanted to go towards uh, a system where I can basically make a, a read where I've got a copper staple that's uh, rolled. So you, you basically take a flat piece of copper, you turn it into a, a trapezoid, so it's obviously fat at one end, thin at the other. You roll it around a mandrel mm-hmm. and then you, you, you crush it and it makes your your um your staple. Because if you if you start with just a copper tube, then you squash it at one end, then it doesn't give you the right the right dimensions that you're looking for. So gotcha. you want to start with a with a trapezoid, which is when you then bend it and and crush it, it, it turns into a, a non geometric shape. So you've kind of got this, um, how would you say, it? an interpolation between a, a um, you know, a, a round end and a, and an elliptical end. Yeah. So, so I've managed to get the staple the way that I wanted. I wanted a folded copper staple. Uh, so I managed to get the tooling done for that, and I also had the principle that I'm going to always cut along the grain with a sharp blade. But I want the sharp blade to to run on a on a, a guide or a template or so, something like that. And yeah, so I've basically spent the last year uh, building, uh, you know, some tooling and making a workshop. And it started off, you know, quite quite small scale, doing it from home. And a year later, it's it's kind of grown arms and legs, and I've basically got a business model ready to go. So are you uh, are you gonna? Do you have a separate uh, facility to, uh, you know, to work outside of the home? 
Yeah, so I've got a little workshop on the go. Or are you uh, like are you like Jock, where where you, you you're making reads from home and then eventually had to buy a new home? No, I've I've basically <laughs> um, I've been very lucky that um, yeah I kind of lucked into a, a little um, kind of lined and insulated workshop where I could go in and make it my own and uh, kit it out. So went in and redid all the all the inside of it and stuff and yeah. uh, made 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 workbenches and this and that. So yeah, put some heat in, got some heaters, got some light. And yeah, so I've got a little place that's just a mile up the road from me. I can jump in the car when when the little man goes to bed at seven thirty every night, and I go up and make reads for three hours. So cool. I've basically just been working on tweaking it and um, doing this and that. I've actually been at the stage where I've been making finished reads for about six months, but I've been going back and forth with the shape and the tolerances of the of the profile cut. So I've been trying to find something that works for what I'm after, and you know, in terms of the the, the need, what I think the needs of pipers and pipe bands are, but also that will be consistent and will come off the machine, you know, looking and sounding consistent every time. If I can get the tolerances right, then the only variable should be did I tie it in properly, and what what's the variance between each piece of cane? Because obviously that's a natural material. You've got some variance in that. But um, yeah, so I'm getting to the stage where I'm I'm consistently happy with the product. So I've sent thirty reads out this week to to various people to get some feedback. Got it. And uh, got some got some feedback about the aesthetics. Like, you know, could you make the binding go a little lower? I was like, check. Yep, I can do that. Can you do this so that the sides look a little bit sharper, a little bit neater? Yeah. Yep. Check. Done that. So I've now sent out another ten reads to to get some like a second round of feedback. And barring any sort of catastrophes, um, it should kind of go live in the next few weeks. Nice. But the biggest the biggest mess up I've actually had hasn't been anything to do with the reads. It's more the packaging. I sent out 20 reads to someone and, you know, to various people, sorry, and kind of tested out different packaging methods. And like 15 out of the 20 arrived broken. So What happened there? What to, was the package? It was just a blister pack where I tried out different types of, you know, plastic blister packs and yeah. some of them opened on, on, on route and some of them, uh, some of them had too much movement in the reeds. So the reeds were moving and shunting against the package, yeah. you know, when they were being dropped in the mail sack or whatever. Isn't so that I weird? To, you you yeah. never think, when you start a business, you never think of those things. Uh, no, definitely not. But it was, then, it's nice to know that, you know, I'm not alone and other people have thought of these things because I was able to hit up a few companies and they said, oh, I've actually done that before. Try these. Right. And they'd already, you know, supplied a business or two. Um, so, yeah, I managed to troubleshoot and problem solve quite a lot of this. Um, I wouldn't say quite easily. There are a lot of sleepless nights. But um, the main thing that I wanted to do was produce a read that had a couple of nice qualities where, for example, if you, if you blow an E, you know, mouth blow your chanter. If you then ease off, what does it do? Does it flatten by, a, you know, a good number a, of a cycles or will it just cut out? Yeah. And I wanted something that would, you know, cut out fairly soon. So I wanted something that was maybe quite choky and quite tight so that if you've got a little bit of blowing variance, hopefully within a band, they would all still blend in really, really well. Mm -hmm. Um that was like one of the big things I'm, I was aiming for. But it seems at the same to be, time, it seems to be like it's a richness to variance uh, 
like relationship. Right. So I feel like, and, and then I feel like in general, the more rich your read is. So the more harmonic output it gives Mm -hmm. out, the more sensitive it tends to be to changes in pressure. Uh, and then if you find a read that doesn't change much, I also like, it might have a nice crack to it, but it doesn't have a, a particularly great resonance in general. So you have to find that balance somehow. There's also something about the enjoyment of the play as well. Like the reads that I'm making here are probably going to be more focused towards guys in pipe bands where they want to, you know, two, three, four, five, ten people, 20 people all want to be in tune with each other. Right. Whereas um, if you're just playing away on your own and you have a slight ease off of pressure and it chokes, that can get pretty frustrating pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's also a great way of learning how to keep your pressure incredibly stable. That's right, yeah. As to as to play with that that, you know, that choke line is always looming if you're not on the money, you know. Um so yeah, uh, that that's the aim is to is to try and get that type of read and I might go down another route for a different style of read later on. But the for example, your your the reads that are on the solo market at the moment, like McPhee, they, they he he uses that type of style, that chisel cut. But um doesn't have the same kind of ridge cut look as say a Chesney or a or a, a you know a, a Melvin or a Caldwell. Mm-hmm. So these guys are all absolutely fantastic at what they do, but the it's just all about finding what works for you. And uh, I, I like the different qualities that different reads give you. Like there's something a Jamie Troy read sounds different to a McPhee read, and gives you different qualities and. Obviously, in the band, we've got the Chesneys and then you've got G1, which are like incredibly consistent as well. And they've got a certain certain profile and a certain setup. Yeah. And I've never never been an advocate of saying, I always use these reads, but I always try and find what's working for me for the for the 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 use that I have for that read. Mm-hmm. Like I need I need something that, that's really sweet. That's got a great PG. Cool. I'll try any read possible to get that. You know what's a peep G? A peep G. I mean, I know what it is. I know what yeah. it is, but the peep G. Now, just when you play high G with your middle finger down, right? Yeah, and uh, and it gives you that that slightly. I think the Bob's of Balmoral used to call it the wailing note. It gives you that slight, um, totally different slight timbre. Flatness. Yeah, 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 definitely. And it's modern. A lot of people think modern chanters, modern reads aren't quite set up for that. Um, but it's definitely definitely yeah. a, a hard thing to find, you know. I don't know if they ever were set up for that. When you change that fingering, it does some weird stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah, I feel like some people get a PG easily and some people don't. A big thing is the moisture. Uh, you know, if yeah. you don't allow any moisture in uh, into the chanter read as you play, you know, if you have yeah. a really <clears throat> intense moisture control, uh, then it's very difficult to get a stable uh, P-Rock mm-hmm. high G. Uh, yeah, definitely with uh, with the synthetic bags. If you've got canisters in the drones of some variety, um, you're keeping your drones as dry as possible. But then, if you're tuning up and tuning up, as your chanter gets wet, it'll kind of get a saturation point where the blades can't get any heavier. Right, it's kind of absorbed as much moisture as it can, and at that point, there might even be moisture pooling around the top of the chanter. Mm-hmm. You know that little bit when you t- when you take the 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 chanter out and r- around the reed, you've got little droplets. I find that once my synthetic setup has got that dusting of moisture and it's really stable and the the blades of the reed are really heavy, um, that's when I would give my 
drones that last wee tune and that's when I would tend to tune tune my chanting intervals. Yeah. So that everything's rock steady and stable. Like the 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 the, mo- the, the moisture content's there, but also the pipes are still warm. They've not been left for five or ten minutes. I'm still at pitch. There's still heat in the reed. Mm-hmm. And I've tuned the drones. I've got them all locked. And that's when I would maybe change that tape on the on the PBG. And then sometimes yeah. you can lose it as well when you change the tape on your E, because you've got a tiny amount of airflow going sure. out your E hole as well. Mm-hmm. So all of these things, it's, they all impact on on how to get it. Yeah, and, uh, that resonates ever, with me quite a bit. You know, when yeah. I when I used to play the solo, I I remember specifically, you know, my longer stint in uh, like two thousand and four through 2007 or what have you, or six. No, I would have been seven. You know, I remember that distinctly. First of all, I, I would always have to change the tape going between light music and P-Brock. And then, mm-hmm. uh, but then the other thing is, yeah, throughout the course of a playing session, the tape would move fairly significantly uh, on that P-Brock high G as it took on moisture, right? As it took on yeah. moisture, the tape would, well, you'd lift it higher and higher. Yeah. Yeah, it's really kind of yeah. interesting. Moisture control systems solve very little for me you know yeah. like it, they're usually moisture elimination systems aren't they yeah and and it'll keep your drones in tuned mm-hmm. but in exchange there's a whole new slew of problems and and it typically you know typically pertaining to or like most pertaining to the stability of the chanter right yeah. is thrown, i had a cool we um we anecdote about that where i found a way to to kind of have the best of both worlds for a few years um, and again this is relevant to the PBG thing uh, where I you know the Ross canister system yeah so again we talked about yeah that's almost a moisture elimination system you try to keep your drones and your chanter really dry well what I used to do was take the cut the granules out I would I would play the whole canister right get everything soaking wet and then I would empty it all out into a bowl or a container then I would before I would microwave it or put it in an oven or whatever it is you do, um, I would take half of one of the chambers, I would fill it with wet granules into yeah. the chanter chamber. Yeah. And then I would mix it with dry so that the next time, next time out, I would get, I, I'm not starting from a, a bone dry. Because that's what happens, thing. right? Yeah. yeah. And also there's latent heat in them too. They heat up like crazy. Mm-hmm. Those. So if you, if you ever like play and then put your hand in the bag, and feel the drone canisters, they're roasting hot. Yeah, because the, the the rocks or the beads maintain moisture, yeah. Well, and it's, yeah, so yeah. it's, and, but that's what happens. So the canister with the dry rocks very actively, very quickly sucks moisture out of the bag itself. And that prohibits, yeah, totally. and or that prohibits or lengthens the amount of time it takes for the chanter to get the type to of moisture, moisture it needs yeah. to sound good. So you're constantly battling that. But yeah, what I've often wondered what you're saying, and it would be interesting to put the layer, put the layer of wet rocks, the so here's, lower so that it's yeah. in contact with the uh, environment inside the bag and the dry rocks uh, closest to the drone reeds. That might yeah. be like the 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 strategy you want to go. So what I did, and I found this worked really well. And remember, remind me to talk about tubing, corrugated tubing. But basically, what I found worked really well was three drone canisters, completely dry, completely dry uh, cat litter, you know, clay-based cat litter. So that was great. And then the oh, other clay-based. Let me write that down. Hold yeah, on. Yeah. Clay, clay-based. Um, yeah. Okay. And then the um, 
the Chanter Chamber had a little Perspex window where you would actually only fill about two th- two thirds or three quarters of the Chanter Chamber. Yeah. So you would get natural moisture from the bag dripping down and then in the Chanter Chamber it would be a wet dry mix. Right? Yeah. But the problem is that that would then be connected via hose to the Chanter Stock. Yeah, which sounds And it's like... got a corrugated tube with an elbow joint. So it's going in at a 90 degree elbow. And oddly enough, the only note that you cannot get in tune with that was the PBG. Mm-hmm. Whenever, no matter which read you played, whenever you did the PBG fingering, there was some kind of harmonic airflow thing where it would create a rasp, almost like a crow on the high G. And it isn't there on the normal high G, it's not there on the high A, yeah. but it appears on the PBG. So that Ross Canister system kind of won me a lot of prizes when I was first starting out, but I couldn't play those G tunes. Like I, I remember trying to play McSwan of Roig yeah. and couldn't play it, which is a shame to start chopping and changing your repertoire just because of one note, you know? Yeah. I mean, I ultimate, I ultimately played uh, in the old days, I played the Ganaway bag with uh, the canister inside, but no tube at all to the chanter. Right. Th- that's what I ultimately ended up with. Cause yeah. Track? Uh, oh, I think I had the water trap in, yeah. But mm-hmm. I, I think nowadays I might even take that out. You know, I really yeah. don't, you know, I'm not afraid of moisture in in the chanter. I'm probably the least afraid of moisture. Like, I think it's generally a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, and then, yeah, that, that, but then the challenge becomes, you know, you're battling with, with the canister itself for the environment inside to stabilize. So, so it gets yeah. a bit, it gets a bit tricky anyway. Uh, There's nothing, nothing beats though having the sheepskin and just playing for an optimal yeah, amount of time. Exactly right. And then hitting it on the board at the point where your pipe is going to last. Mm-hmm. Nothing beats that for me. It's just immense. Yeah, I think if the problem, you know, and, the, and that's the problem, right? If you're playing at the Perth Highland Games, mm-hmm. just like if, if your pipe goes out, who cares? Yeah. But the problem is, Event, the problem is you're preparing for high stakes later. That's mm-hmm. the problem. So, uh, and even then, see, uh, at the moment, Perth Highland Games could be a B grade qualifier for the silver medal. Right. But that's what so I mean. It's already. So dicey. maybe that was a bad so example. No, but you know what I mean? It's like, right. that even, even the ones that weren't high stakes are now getting that way. And it's a case of even on a rainy day in Perth, you want your instrument to last. So, how do you strategize and how do you do that? The problem is you could have the tune of your life, right? And then mm-hmm. your drones go out in the Amok, and then that's that. Yeah. You go from winning it to nothing, uh, yeah. just because you're just because one of your drones got a, a bead of moisture on it, yeah. uh, and then that's yeah. the end. Which I think is a real shame, you know. Like, I, in a way, it's a shame that that um, competition is like so dialed into these like fairly insignificant issues. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I do, I do feel like that. I feel like a Pebrock competition especially it's ironically it's a technique contest right like how yeah. how can you get your pipes in tune and can you not miss anything for the whole tune and can you not accidentally go too fast in a variation or something like that too but like yeah. I, you, I, me- you mentioned that to me that you were reading about that um what was the book that you were reading was it the pipe in highland society yeah yeah the the yeah. william donaldson book yeah 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 and you're talking about the the sort of um, improvised nature of Pibroch yeah. and, and how he how he interpreted that it was supposed to be. Well, another interesting, quite, quite musically interesting. Another interesting tidbit is, uh, 
you used to go, well, and I think a lot of people know this, but you used to go back to the ground several times in a tune. Yeah. You know, uh, and they got rid of that just because the contests were getting too long and like sort of, yeah. you know, the who's I remember who doing that bored. with, um, I can't remember the tune, but it was one of the Donald, Donald McDonald tunes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, you see that in the Donald McDonald uh, quake quite a lot. There was one, I, I learned a tune and it's just tip of the tongue syndrome at the moment. Um, I can't even remember which one it was. I learned one of them for the silver medal and I played the Donald McDonald setting and that'll come to me in a bit, but Bruce Gandhi plays it on YouTube and he won the Donald McDonald quake with it and it's absolutely exceptional what yeah. a performance it is. Yeah. If anybody's listening and wants to check that out, they should because it's it's quite nice to hear the, the ground in a variation and the ground again in the next variation and a lot of the, a lot of the P-Rock movements that, you know, are are written a certain way and played a certain way these days were interpreted totally differently back then. What is it, Greg? Uh, so what do yeah, I, what was, do I search for? It'll be Donald McDonald Quake Bruce Gandhi. All right. So and you'll uh, see that he's playing and I out, think Greg. it's in the clan Donald Center. Oh, wow. So is it on, it's on YouTube, you said, yeah? It's on YouTube, yeah. Picture in picture. This is impressive, Andrew. Bruce Gandhi. And what is and it? Donald, Donald McDonald Quake. Or Kuach, as some people say. That's the uh, one. A wee bit one. of this. Shall we have a wee listen? Yeah, go for it. All right. What tune is that again? Uh, no idea. And then, um, are you able to hear this a wee bit, Greg? Yes, I In can. Your headphones, yeah. yeah? I think it's Glenn Gary's March. Is it? Yeah. those cadences you know what we would traditionally call a you know an E cadence yeah that's turned into like a three note cadence exactly but I think also you know I think there also used to be this is what I think and I could be I need to do more research but it used to be just kind of I think it used to be just a, a kind of like wing it you know, like do right. some sort of flurry of notes down to the main themal note. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the the original uh, Joseph McDonald stuff had very few grace notes written in the score at all. Like it was kind of assumed that the performer yeah. would uh, would play it along those lines. Right. Uh, it's interesting that, like that as well with even the sort of 18th century light music where it's a lot of it's written with no dots and cuts and you just put some emphasis and some swing in it, whatever you feel. Yeah. The other thing I was going to mention about the early competitions, and I don't know if I think the first three decades of bagpipe, comp, you know, uh, Highland Society of London competitions, mm -hmm. you could reach up and retune your pipes during the tune. And it was like no biggie. Oh, really? Yeah. I did not know that. Uh, it's a, uh, and apparently like that was banned later on as they tried to kind of make it a more, uh, a more entertaining event. But, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, the tunes used to last like half an hour because, you know, you're going back and forth to the ground the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is, you know, it's quite an interesting um, uh, topic of conversation in terms of Peabrock is the, and it's got an American sort of connection here, is, you know, um, 
in Pittsburgh, you've, you had uh, the steel magnate Andrew Carnegie. Yes. He was born in Dunfermline in Fife. So that was uh, at one point an ancient capital of Scotland, blah, blah, blah. There's a museum there called the Carnegie Birthplace Museum. So, you know, this is the house he was born, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and it's got, obviously, at one point in time, he owned uh, Skibo Castle. So he had made all his money in America and he bought a big country estate in Scotland. And uh, I think the Carnegie family maybe still own that or the Carnegie Trust anyway. Yeah. It's a big fancy, um, fancy hotel. I think Madonna got married there. And uh, Well, that must mean it's fancy. It is very fancy, very exclusive. So there's, he had a piper. So uh, there's a piper to Andrew Carnegie at Skibo Castle and he brought out a collection of books and he his book is, is in the Carnegie Birthplace Museum in Dunfermline what, open at a page of a pibroch and the D Crunluas are written out in full with D grace notes. Yeah. So I reckon that that B grace note thing is a typo and people have just gone with it. Well, there's certainly a, you know... Uh... And and I've been into that. So I, I've had I've, I must have owned this uh, William Donaldson book for ages. But it's such a big book and it's scary. But man, I, I think COVID has helped. I you know Greg, I've probably read like a hundred books since COVID started. I'm not joking. No That's impressive. Yeah, like I, I did all the Harry Potters and uh, but aside from that, it's all been nonfiction stuff. Sometimes books on tape. So I don't want to, uh, you know. I don't want people to think I'm like a bookworm or anything, but yeah, yeah. Uh, quite a few books on tape. But then like, I've also just been going through Kindle, the Kindle, and then the, uh, uh-oh, what do we got? Someone's at the door? That is a doorbell, yeah. Uh, you got to go that get it? Doorbell. Yeah, While probably. you're gone, I'll check out some more of this peeb. Or, or are we, or do you have to go? Uh, might need to go soon. Okay. That is the doorbell, and I think that might be my partner coming home. All right, sounds good. Well, why don't we wrap it up there, Greg? I'm going to... Uh, you, you can sign off. I'll uh, go through a little bit of you this P-Rock. Yeah, listen, listen to a little bit of the people, listen to the ground uh, recurring, and uh, yeah, let me know what you think about it. Cool. Excellent. Um, so we will do that. Good, yeah, good to have you. Pleasure having the chat, man. I hope we can do this again sometime. Yeah, let's do it again. We've got to talk more about diet and nutrition, I think. I think so. Less about bagpipe reads. Yeah. So I think you can just X out of the window, and then you'll be all set to go. You'll be safe. Nice one. Right. Good to chat. All right, See Greg, you later, take Andrew. it easy. Bye. Um, and then, uh, so that'll be Greg away there, but, uh, just to finish this idea, I thought we'd, uh, listen to excerpts of this tune. So just, uh, everybody, this is Bruce Gandy and, um, I'm not sure. So you have to be careful sometimes on YouTube, but, uh, you know, we'll just go through this. I, d I certainly don't want to, uh, commandeer anyone's material without giving them credit. So it's this SMO TV here. And then Bruce Gandy playing at the Donald McDonald here in, 2015. Um, and let's go through, like, I think one of the things that we'll notice is towards the end of the tune, uh, we'll probably go. So the main thing here is Here's the Terlua, the Terlua, doubling. And after it, he'll go back to the ground before completing the, the Krundula variation to finish the tune. 
so here we are back in the ground. And it actually sounds like maybe the first variation and not actually the ground. And then here, you'll notice the open style of Kronlua Foskelcha here. And this will be the singling because it has lots of these pauses in it. And then this would be the doubling, right? No more of the pauses. So there you go. Uh, again, um, uh, uh, certainly uh, thanks to the creators of this video and everything. And hopefully it's okay that I showed that. If not, I'm sure I'll hear back. But uh, yeah, so Greg, Greg is off away there. And, uh, you know, thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll call it, call it in there for now. We're just trying to get the technology dialed in to have some good long form conversations here over YouTube during the COVID era. So trying to finally get my act together with that hope you guys enjoyed uh comment if you liked it or if you have feedback on how to make it better and uh, until next time uh we'll see you later hey everybody andrew douglas here from the piper's dojo and i just want to say thanks so much for listening to today's iteration of the podcast if you enjoyed what you heard here today it would be super helpful to us and to a lot of bagpipers out there trying to find us if you could give us a top-notch review on whatever platform you're using 
to listen to this podcast, particularly Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, and things like that, your review would be really, really helpful. So if you have a moment today, definitely go over there and help us out. Other than that, until we meet again on the podcast or somewhere else, thanks again for listening.